Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Amen. Well, as we get started today, uh, I want to go ahead and open with prayer and then we'll dive into what we're talking about and we'll get there. I'll, I'll tell you what we're getting into. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you and we worship you. We're so privileged to be able to come into your presence and to learn about the truth of your word. And we acknowledge that what we're doing right now is an act of worship. That as we learn about you, what we're setting ourselves up to do is stand in awe of how good you are and what you can do in our lives. And so God, I thank you that right now, as I speak, God, that you would speak through me and that your words would make an impact in people's lives. God, we declare right now that chains are falling off, that people's eyes are being opened to the truth of Jesus, and we believe for the greatest miracle of all, for people to be saved in this service tonight. God, teach us something we've never seen before, and show us how to live for you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. You know, I really like running. I'm one of the crazy people that you see out there. People tell me that I'm trying to be Forrest Gump because I'm growing out a beard and running around and I even have the red shorts. So uh, I, tell, I told somebody the other day, if I had it my way, I would just be a trail runner with a beard and living off of energy bars and that's what I would do. So uh, I, I was running with a good friend of mine, Josh Wall, a while back and he told me a story. He said that he was driving on the road and he saw another runner. Now, when you're a runner and you see other runners, you do this thing where you analyze. And I don't know if this is what he was doing, but this is what I would have been doing. I analyze how they run and all that kind of stuff. Even though I run weird, I like to analyze how they run too. So you analyze other runners. So he sees a runner while he's driving on the road and he looks at this guy and he watches him. And I think he said the guy was at an intersection and he tripped. So in the middle of his run, he just trips and he did it. It was a good one, I think. He got all the way to the ground. But what Josh said is he said the guy did like a James Bond type of move where he tripped and he rolled and he came back up and he just began running again, almost like he meant to do it, you know? He was in the clear. But be honest, you're laughing, but that's what you hope to do if you trip, right? If you're in a public place, you get up, I meant to do that, and then you just keep going. So he did it. But what happened with this guy is when he did the trip and roll in the James Bond move, he got up and did the look. Do you know what the look is? When you trip, you fall, especially like if you're at the mall or in a public place, you trip, you eat it for a second, and then you look around to see if anybody was watching you. You know everybody was watching you, but you just want to look around to make yourself feel more comfortable. So this guy trips, does a James Bond roll, gets back up, starts running, and then he does the look. And when he does the look, he finds a pole with his face. It was the perfect storm. It was incredible. And I wish that Josh would have had it on a, on a cell phone camera because he could have made some money on YouTube. But he told me this story, and I just began thinking, how many of us feel that way about our lives? You know, we trip, and we do the James Bond role. We keep a good attitude. We keep our cool. We keep our focus on God. We get back up, but then somehow we find a pole with our face. We're happy. We got it. God, I got this under control. You brought me up out of this one, but then something unexpected hits us again. So today I was in prayer the other day and and I uh, literally saw a picture of a bouncy ball and I thought, bounce back, that's what we're going to talk about. 
So this guy bounced back from his fall and then he bounced back off the pole. But we're gonna talk about bouncing back today. One really, really, really great example of bouncing back is the Apostle Paul. Now, if you don't know who Paul is, Paul was a leader in the early church just after Jesus had went back to heaven. He was an apostle, which meant he was on a mission from God. He was a delegate from God, and he would bring the gospel to people. He would teach people who Jesus was. He was a missionary going all over. In fact, he made it all the way to what is modern-day Turkey and even to Rome. And so he would go around teaching people about Jesus. He would help establish churches and he would help oversee them. So clearly he was doing the will of God, but something was always going wrong in Paul's life. In fact, he gives an entire list of what went wrong. If you want to check it out, it's in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 27. I'm going to read it for you really quick. And you can just begin to make mental check marks in your mind if you've ever gone through any of these. And my guess is you haven't. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. This is not your mama's whooping. This is the real deal. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, meaning that they threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead and they left him outside the city. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole day and a night adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles or those who aren't Jews. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. We would say hypocrites. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and I've often gone without food. In fact, I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Now, keep in mind, that's not a complete list. This doesn't deal with the day-to-day pressures. This doesn't deal with the times where he had to deal with what was happening in a church, and he was supposed to oversee it. It doesn't deal with all these type of things. So Paul is giving us a short list of some of the highlights of the bad things that have happened to him. If anybody had to know how to bounce back, it was Paul. There's a wonderful verse about this in Proverbs 24, verse 16. It says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. I love the concept and it makes me think about when Jesus preached about the house that's built on the rock versus the house that's built on sand because it says the godly are those whose foundation is built on Jesus Christ and his word. They might trip seven times, but they're going to get back up again. But it just takes one disaster to make you come unglued if you don't have Jesus. How many of you know that if it weren't for Jesus in your life, that one disaster would have made you come unglued? But here you are today because of what God has done in your life. Come on, can we thank God for that? So I think Paul was the kind of guy that Proverbs 24, 16 talks about. Turn to your neighbor really quick and say, I will get up again. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, you will get up again. That's kind of like being voluntold. You will. It's no option there. I think about Paul as being that kind of person that would just get up again. And I wonder, how did he do that? How was Paul so resilient that he could just get up all over again and keep, 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 keep chugging all the way to what God had called him to do? 
You can kind of look at what he said if you look at his own words. In 2 Timothy 1.7, he writes a letter to his protege, Timothy, and he says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So Paul's telling his protege, the guy that he's mentoring, he's saying to him, listen, God hasn't placed in us a spirit that succumbs to fear and timidity, but God put inside of you a spirit that's powerful. If I'm Paul, if I believe that I've got a powerful spirit within me, a spirit that is so full of God's love and is so full of self-discipline that I can make myself get back up again, that I'm gonna choose every time to bounce back. You can look even when he says in Romans uh, 8.31, it says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Have you ever known somebody who was a real little person, but they talked a real big game? You know what I'm talking about? That some of those people cannot back that up, and, and, and we just know that. You think, I don't, I don't think I'd talk that way if I were you. So it's kind of like me. I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty little guy, so I don't talk like that. But then you know some people, and especially maybe in school when you were younger, there was sometimes that one kid that would talk a big game and he couldn't back it up, but he had an older brother who could. Or he had a bigger friend who could. He knew a guy on the varsity football team and so he wasn't afraid to say what he wanted because he knew that that guy was gonna back him up. Has anybody known somebody like that? Until the one day they're not there, they're on vacation and he forgets. I think about if I'm Paul, When I'm saying something like, if God is for me, who can ever be against me? I'm saying, I know that it's not about my strength. It's not my strength that's going to make me be able to get back up again when these things happen, but it's because of who's in my corner that I can declare this as boldly as I do. That I know that God's working all things together for my good because I love him and he's called me according to his purposes. And listen, if God has a purpose for your life, then nothing can stop that purpose. So three shipwrecks couldn't stop the purpose that God had for Paul's life. Being whipped couldn't stop the purpose that God had for Paul's life. So I think about that as I look at Paul. Now let me stop and say something really quick. A lot of times you and I believe that we're tripping or bad things are happening in our life because God is punishing us for something that we've done wrong. A lot of times we see, we see it like that, that God has caused something bad to come on my life because of something that I've done. The heart of that and the truth of that is really that's a religious and an unhealthy thought. It's not biblical. Because what, what, what I think about is this. You can hear the rain right now. It's nice and loud and it's a good illustration. If I'm standing with an umbrella and I'm holding the umbrella for somebody and they choose to step out of that umbrella into the rain, I didn't cause them to get wet. They decided to walk out and they can always walk right back into the covering. So sometimes we do something and there's a consequence for what we do, but God's not lording it over you. He's not holding it over you and saying, you never get back under this umbrella. He's saying, come back in, come quick, come quick. I want to help you. God's not punishing you. Sometimes there's just a natural consequence for the things that we do, but God's not putting bad things on you. That's a lie from the devil. Also, I want to tell you this. Sometimes it's just because life is life and we live in an imperfect world. Sometimes bad things just happen because the world's not perfect. 
Sometimes that's just the way it goes. But sometimes when something bad is happening to you, sometimes when you keep tripping over something, when you feel like I just made it up from this and I found a pole with my face, sometimes what's happening is you're precisely in the right place and there's an angry devil who knows that you're on track for the purpose of God. If you're not facing opposition, then you're probably not going the right direction down the field. So you have to know that it's not because God's putting something on you, but sometimes it's just because the world is the world. Sometimes it's a consequence of our natural actions. And sometimes it's just because you're in the right place doing the right thing and the devil's mad. John 10.10 talks about how the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus talks about coming to give us life and life more abundant. I was thinking about this the other day, and this is such a powerful thing because, and people have always have said this before, but if the devil can't kill you, and if he can't stop you from going to heaven, then his next best bet is to stop you from fulfilling the purpose that God has for you on the earth. He's going to steal your joy so nobody wants to ask you about the hope that you have in Jesus. He's going to kill the dreams that God's placed on the inside of you. He's going to stop you from reaching your potential because you got distracted and discouraged from all the things that came against you so that you can't take other people with you, so that you can't lead other people to Jesus and get them on their way to fulfilling God's purpose. Don't let the devil steal something from you that God gave you. I think there's two reasons we trip in life. I think about this like tripping in the natural Number one, when you trip in the natural, sometimes it's a circumstance that you just couldn't control. You know how it is. In in middle school, you always knew that one kid that would stick his foot out just to be funny when you were walking down the hall. Then you would trip over it. Or maybe somebody put something in your way, or maybe somebody bumped into you, or maybe somebody pushed you, or whatever that is. You couldn't control it. Now, in life, I think that looks like this. Medical problems. Maybe medical bills associated with that. Being betrayed by our family or our friends, something you couldn't control. Maybe your upbringing, maybe your parents were not a good example of what it was like to live for Jesus. Maybe layoffs, maybe you got laid off at your job. You were working your hardest, you were serving them as unto the Lord, but there was, it was out of your power, it's just what happened. Maybe it's a car trouble. Everybody knows that car troubles are frustrating. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> Uh, They never come at a good time. A son or daughter who has run from God. It's been said rightly so that God was the perfect parent, but Adam and Eve still chose their own way. It may not have been anything that you did. A husband or wife who doesn't believe in Jesus. Maybe somebody passed away or a friend or a family member. It was outside of your control and you're trying to figure out how to bounce back. The other way that we trip in life is tripping over our own two feet. We were talking about that a minute ago. You may just trip on something, an addiction or a sin. It could be greed. It could be sexual immorality. It could be envy and jealousy. It could be anything. Listen, you can trip over yourself with self-deprecating thoughts. When you say, I'll never be good enough. When you say that God doesn't really love me because I did this. You can hinder yourself from bouncing back just by what you think. And can I tell you something? That becomes a vicious cycle. Because when you hinder yourself in that way, you say, I'll never be good enough, then you cause yourself to fall again. 
Because you say, well, I'm not good enough, so I'm just going to do it anyways. And then, oh, well, I'm not good enough now because I did it again. And it keeps going around. It's like you're stuck in a dryer. You ever watch stuff just go around and around and around? See, that passage that we read lists Paul's hardships, but all of those were external circumstances outside of his control. They were all just things that happened as the result of him following God's plan and bad things just happened. But what you may not know about Paul is Paul had a lot of the tripping over your own two feet in him because Paul was a known sinner. Before he was the apostle Paul, the church planner, the great preacher, before he was writing much of the New Testament, he was a known sinner. He was known for persecuting Christians. He was known for throwing them in jail. He was known for being the guy that held people's coats while they killed the first Christian martyr ever. So if Paul had the ability to bounce back from all that sin, then you and I do too. But let me show you why he did. It was Paul's attitude and his mentality about God. In Romans 3, 23 and 24, he said, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. See, Paul had done so much wrong. And if anybody could have sat there and said, because of what I did, God doesn't love me. Because of what I did, I'm not going to fulfill the promises and the purpose that God has for my life. That would have been Paul. But Paul understood that by the grace of God, through his faith in God, not by his works, that he was made righteous or he had right standing with God, that everything was forgiven. And if you look at that scripture in Proverbs, it says, the righteous fall seven times. So if God made you righteous by his grace, then it doesn't matter what you did and it doesn't matter what the world does to you, you can still get back up again. That's a great thing for us to know. So the thing is, how do we bounce back? It really starts with believing the right thing about God, that God didn't cause this thing to come on you. And that no matter what you did in the past, that God says you're forgiven because of your faith in me. I've given you grace and everything's okay so you can get back up again. But what are some practical steps that we can take to ensure that we're able to get back up again? I want to give you four things, I believe. These are not obviously the only things, but they're four good things that we can use. And we'll spend some time in these. Number one is pretty obvious. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Let me read this really quick. It says in Psalm 94, 17 through 19, unless the Lord had helped me, I would soon have settled in the silence of the grave. I cried out, I'm slipping, but your love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. I love that the psalmist's response to slipping in life was to cry out to God. I think a really good test for us as believers is when you begin tripping in life, what comes out of your mouth? Is the first thing that comes out of your mouth, my car broke down again? Is the first thing that comes out of your mouth, I can't believe what my son or daughter is doing? I knew I would be the one to get laid off. Or is the first thing that comes out of your mouth, Jesus, I know that you've got a way out for this. I know that you can help me. I believe that you're for me and not against me. You didn't cause this. And so I'm going to stand in faith and believe that you're going to do something great. I love what we see in Exodus when they're getting ready 
to cross over the Red Sea. And it says that they should stand and wait and just watch the salvation of the Lord. I've heard it said before that whenever Pharaoh's armies were coming at the children of Israel, they're in front of a sea. And it's, it's been suggested that basically the way it's worded, that the armies came from all sides except the sea. So they were completely surrounded. And you may be here tonight and in your job or in your finances or in your family, you may feel completely and totally isolated and surrounded. But God would say, if you just stand there and say, I'm going to watch you save me, God. I'm going to see what you're about to do. You'd be amazed at what will happen. You've got to cry out to God. You've got to ask him for help. Some people say that one of the greatest prayers you can pray is Jesus help. In fact, uh, Bach, when he would write his compositions, there was always a little inscription at the top. It said JJ, two initials. And at the bottom, it always said SDG. Every time that he would write it would say in his language, Jesus help at the beginning. And then at the bottom, it would say to God alone be the glory. The thing about crying out for God is when we cry out to God for help, he's going to come through and he's going to do something. And the reason you and I are still here today talking about the children of Israel and how God saved them in Exodus is because when he saved them, it gave him glory. It made him even more famous. It gave them more of a reason to praise him. When you begin to cry out to God and ask him to help you, it's not just for you, but there's a whole bunch of people at your work. There's a whole bunch of people in your family that are going to see what God does for you and they're going to have some questions for you. And we got to be ready to answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Make sure that you cry out. And you can be honest, by the way. You can say, I don't get this, but I'm going to trust you. Number two, this one's really important. Rest in his presence. You ever seen somebody trip so hard that they took a second to catch their breath? That was a good one if you ever watch somebody do that. They got to let the adrenaline go. My favorite, this is so bad, but it's when people trip in slow motion. You know what I'm talking about? When you see them and they just, like, you're just counting seconds until they finally hit the ground. It's my favorite thing. But uh, I know that's bad, but it's true. It's fun to watch. So when you watch people trip like that, sometimes they just got to take a break and take a breather and catch their breath again and, whew, okay, I'm all right. We, used, we grew up skateboarding and surfing and things like that. And uh, we would do that sometimes. You get hit so hard, you just got to take a few minutes and you'll be all right. I believe sometimes we got to take that breather when we're falling in life. I think there's a reason why God put the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments to take a breather and rest in his presence. Isaiah 40, 29 and 31 in the Amplified says this, he, meaning God, gives power to the faint and weary. And to him who has no might, he increases strength, causing it to multiply and making it to abound. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and selected young men shall feebly stumble and fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord, everybody say wait, who expect, look for, and hope in him shall change and renew their strength and power. They shall lift their wings and mount up close to God as eagles mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint or become tired. I love when it says they change or renew their strength. The easiest illustration for that is your cell phone. When you take your cell phone at night, you put it on the charger, unless you're like me and you forgot this morning. 
and it died. So you go to sleep at night, you put your phone on the charger, you let it rest all night, if you could say it that way. I hope you're not getting calls in the middle of the night. And then when you wake up, it's ready to go for the day. If you'll give yourself a little bit of time to rest in God's presence, then he'll renew your strength and he'll change it. In fact, I believe that he'll exchange it, not just your physical strength that you're leaning on, but he'll say, I'm going to exchange just what you can do for my supernatural power that's going to keep you going through everything you're going to face. I hope that when I get to the end of my life, somebody says, I don't know how he did it. I can't believe he made it. I hope somebody says that because that would mean that it was all God and not me. I think about in Nehemiah 8.10, it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. What I love about that concept is that the joy of the Lord is a renewable resource. There's an infinite supply of God's joy, meaning that you can never run out of strength if you choose to tap into God's joy. God's not running out of joy anytime soon, so you don't have to run out of strength if you choose to tap into his joy. But the question then becomes, if God's joy never runs out, so my strength will never run out if I tap into his joy, then how do I get the joy? But you can see it in Psalm 1611, where it says that in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. And also when Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit, and it says that one of the fruits of the spirit is joy. So what that tells me is that my level of joy is directly related to the amount of time that I've spent resting in God's presence. The strength that I have in my life is tied to how much time I spend with him. All that means is I've just got to make the time and he'll give me the strength. Number three is confess the word. I note that Paul was found saying things like, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. How many times do you think Paul probably told himself that before he ever told that to his mentor? Also, he said, if God's for us, who can ever be against us? How many times do you think he had to think that when he was shipwrecked three times and beaten so many times, he probably had to replay that through his mind all the time? He probably had to rehearse it and remember it. He also told his protege that he, that he knew the purpose for his life. When you remember that God has a plan and, your, and a purpose for your life, according to Jeremiah 29, 11, then you can see that there's a, a reason to keep going. You can see that God has a purpose and it's going to keep you on track. He understood when Proverbs 18, 21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And I love how the Amplified Bible says it. It says, and they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. It's all a choice on our part. We've got to be too busy talking about how big our God is to talk about the circumstances we find ourselves in. I want you to write this down if you can. It says, the goodness of God is bigger than the hopelessness of your circumstance. The goodness of God is bigger than the hopelessness of your circumstance. You can speak the word or you can state the obvious, but only one of them has the power to change the situation. I think we have to stop giving the enemy so much gratification by letting him see our fear 
We have to start giving God the glory by declaring his word in faith. We've got to be a people who will say, I'm not going to give in to what you're selling me, but I'm going to live by faith in Jesus. I want to plug something really quick. This is not an actual point. It's in the middle of all these. All these first three points, crying out to God, confessing his word, and resting in his presence, all these three points can be accomplished when you worship God. Because when you worship God, you may sing a song like, you're good when there's nothing good in me. God, I need you so bad right now. Is kind of what you're saying right there. But you may say the chorus of that song says, Lord, I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. You're going to confess that, God, you're enough for me. And I'm going to rest here in the arms of your presence. And when you begin to do that, you do all three of those things at once by singing out your praise to God. You don't have to be a good singer. You just have to do it whenever and wherever you can. Whether it's driving the kids to school in the morning and they may tell you, stop singing, mom, what are you doing? But, or whether it's uh, driving to work or anything that that may be. We've got to be bold enough to sing. You sing when you have the victory. You stay silent when you're defeated. So let's make the choice to sing something out and to declare what God has for us. We've got to be willing and ready to sing the praises of God at all times. And I love how worship was used in the Old Testament as a form of warfare. And nothing's changed in the kingdom of God. He still uses it as a weapon if we choose to use it. Number four, this one's really, really, really important. It's serve through it all. Because again, what we said, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's going to try to get you off track from God's purpose for your life. So you've got to continually choose to serve. I heard a story, I think it was Matthew Barnett at Dream Center in LA. He was, he was pastoring his church and there was a lady who was just kind of really sad and kind of down. I believe she was a wealthy lady and a, she, just, she just, something wasn't right in her life and he could tell. And so he said, what's wrong? And she didn't really know. And he said, well, let me ask you this. What are you doing to serve other people? And she said, well, nothing really. He said, well, what are you good at? Well, I'm good at baking cookies. And so he said, what I want you to do is I want you to start baking cookies for random people, find somebody, start giving stuff away, start serving somebody, and I want you to see if you get a little more joy and happiness in your life. He said the lady never came back to his church for weeks. So he's thinking, I don't know what I did wrong, you know, what happened? She shows up at a service one day and he finds her, you know, he sees her and he goes over and he says, hey, where have you been? What happened? Is everything okay? And she said, I started baking cookies and I got so excited about doing that. I had so much fun that I just haven't come to church because all I've been doing is baking cookies. <laughs> so I think he had to kind of course correct and say, okay, let's steer that in the right direction, still come to church, Right. But she got the picture that if you'll serve, God will give you a supernatural joy because you're pouring into other people. And he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And not only that, it'll cause you to remember that I've got to be in the presence of God so I can pour out for other people. But that's a side effect. In Acts 27, Paul's obeying the Lord. He's preaching the gospel. He's been in jail for two years at this point. And he had appealed to speak before Caesar. Now, Paul had appealed to speak before the highest ranking official in the known world at that point, the emperor of the Roman Empire. And he wasn't just going to go plead his case. If you read about Paul, Paul was going to sneak in the entire gospel story in his defense. 
He was going to tell that man who Jesus was, and he was on a mission. So he's on a mission to see, uh, to see the Roman emperor, and he gets shipwrecked on an island called Malta. And he had warned these people that the Spirit of the Lord told me we can't do this, and he gets shipwrecked. And so he has a great attitude about it, which I wouldn't have. I would have been like, I told you, what are you doing? So he gets shipwrecked, swims to shore. And when they get there, they're building a fire to keep everybody warm. And lo and behold, Paul is serving. Paul's putting sticks in the fire to keep everything going, keep everybody warm. And what I love about Paul is that he had just tripped up again. Life had thrown something at him, but he chose to get back up. He chose to serve other people. But catch this, in in, uh, Acts 28, 1 through 10, he's serving, he's putting sticks on the fire to keep everybody else warm. And a viper, the Bible says, jumps out of the fire because when he threw the sticks in, it was with it. And it got hot, so it jumped out and it bit his hand and it latches onto his hand. How many guys are not snake fans here? All right, most people, right? So he was the original, original crocodile hunter. It bites him, he shakes it off. And God protects him miraculously. And what it does is it opens up a door to where he gets to go to the leader of the entire island's house. And he prays for people in that man's household and they're healed. And then the Bible literally says that every sick person on that island came to him to be healed. Now, what does that mean for you and I? You're not going to get bit by a snake. What that means is if you'll continue to serve whenever you're tripping, whenever life is throwing things at you continually, it's going to open up a door for miracles to happen for other people. If you'll serve through the pain, if you'll serve through the things that are happening to you, God says, I'll use you like never before and other people's lives will be healed. If you'll serve through a broken marriage, then God will use you to restore other people. If you'll serve through a sickness, then God will use you to reach those who are sick. Not only will he heal you, he'll heal them. He'll use you to bring people to Jesus if you'll just serve him through what you're going through. The other thing about that is, at the end of it all, they received a reward. They were honored by the officials and by the people of that island. If you'll push through all the junk that's happening, then God will reward you. So what I want to say to you really quick, just to remind you of what this means to you and I. You may be here today and you may feel like, I just got up from my James Bond movie role and I hit my head on a pole. Something happened again. I fixed my car and my kid came back and told me this or whatever it may be. I paid my rent, then I got laid off, whatever it is. You may be in those shoes today, but I believe that if you could just clearly hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you today, he would tell you that you're too close to give up. You're too close not to bounce back. There's too many people who need healing in their lives. There's too many people out there who need the touch of Jesus Christ for you to give up now. There's too many people out there who needs you to bounce back so that they can experience the revelation of who God is the way that you've experienced it. If you give up now, if you get frustrated because you're shipwrecked on this island, then this whole group of people is not going to experience the love and the power of Jesus. If you get frustrated and you choose not to bounce back, you choose not to rest in the presence of God and enjoy his strength rising up in you, 
If you choose not to do that, then you're not gonna receive the reward that he has for you. And the reward over there is so much greater than the pain that you're feeling right now. And God would say, just get back up. If you'll get back up, I'll keep you in the fight. If you'll get back up, I'll give you strength. So we've got to think further. And let me say this one last thing. If you don't choose to bounce back, you'll never realize the potential and the purpose that God created you for. And there's nothing worse in life than wasted potential. That God said, I've given you so much room to grow. And we say, I'll only take half a glass, Lord. I'm tired. I'd like to tap out. You come too far not to bounce back. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.